This podcast is being recorded on the traditional land of the Blackfoot Confederacy. This consists of the Kainai, Pekani, Siksika, and the Blackfeet in the U.S. We acknowledge the Stony Nakoda, which consists of the Bearspaw, Morley, and Chiniki. We acknowledge the Satina, who are Dene, and the Métis, Inuit, status and non-status from all of Turtle Island, and those who are visiting. We are all treaty people. Welcome to the Dave Leary Show. Welcome to the Voices in Recovery podcast, brought to you by Freedom's Path Recovery Society in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Thank you for tuning in. Please remember that these opinions that are shared are those of the individuals and not of any agency, organization, or other entity, unless otherwise specified. Also, if you're a minor, please check with your parent and or guardian as you need to have permission to listen to these podcasts. We will potentially talk about violent subject matter, sexual content, and difficulties human beings face on their day-to-day lives in recovery. Well, tonight we have Maria. Thank you for coming. Hey, David. How are you? I'm doing very well. It's nice Good. to see you. It's been a long time. It has been a long time. It's been uh, it's been almost ten years since I moved away from Calgary. Has it been ten years? Just about. How Just is that about, possible? Yeah. I know it's been a long time. Jeez. So yeah. that must that must make you have some considerable time now. Yeah, I've got, uh, I just, this January, um, January 30th, I took 11 years clean and sober. Oh, congratulations. Thank you, God. Yeah, no yeah. shit, eh? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for that. You're yeah. welcome. So I, I'm going to let you take it away. Tell us about okay, yourself. Okay, sure. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so uh, my name is Maria. We kind of went over that already. Um, just to give you a little bit about my story, um, something that I kind of like to highlight or something that, 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 uh, I think is important is is that um, none of it was part of the plan. Mm. Hey, none of it was part mm. of the plan, and uh, I never once in my life grew up thinking to myself that you know what, when I grow up, I want to sell myself on the streets. Mm. I never once thought to myself that when I grow up, I want to um, be an addict in an alley. Mm-hmm. I never once thought to myself that uh, that uh, these are my lofty goals for life, and and yet. Um, and yet that's where I ended up. And, and I think that that, that speaks to the fact that, um, in, in my opinion, addiction doesn't care who we are, where we come from, what our social or economic backgrounds are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how, how, how loving you were brought up. It doesn't matter, uh, in my opinion, what kind of, what kind of, um, upbringing a person has, um, addiction doesn't discriminate and, it uh, definitely takes no prisoners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So I can kind of tell you a little bit about my story. I can tell you a little bit about where I'm at now. Sure. Um, this also wasn't part of the plan, but you know what? Life is so good today. Mm-hmm. And I am just so incredibly overwhelmed by um, the blessings that recovery has brought to my life. I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about my fellowship or, yeah. or what that looks like. Um, I'm a member of Cocaine Anonymous and... In my opinion, I, I completely owe everything that I have to CA. Um, mm-hmm. It's been such an integral part of my recovery. Um, so, you know, today I have a 19-year-old daughter. Um, I own a home. 
in Edmonton, um, where I live by myself. Me and Bradley Cooper. He's my cat. He's amazing. I have to <laughs> shout out to the Bradley Cooper. He's, he's adorable too. <laughs> he's he's pretty cute. Yeah, yeah he's he pretty amazing. He's he's been uh, he's been a blessing for me too. You know, I have an amazing career today. I work mm. um, in Edmonton as a corporate paralegal, and uh, um, all the things that have come into my life today um, was never part of the plan. You know, I, I never expected or imagined um, to have the life that I have today. I remember in my very early recovery, I had um, a sponsor a sponsor say to me, um, she actually said to a crowd of people, but I felt like she was talking to me, and she mm-hmm. just said, you know, if you could just, this is my first year of recovery, she said, if you could just imagine, close your eyes for a moment, Picture what you think life would look like, clean and sober. How amazing could life be for you? Mm. And I closed my eyes. And I pictured nothing even close to where I am today. Mm. I pictured something for me that met my goals at that time. Mm. And it's been my experience that I've received 10 times that. And to me, that's as a result of CA and the grace of God and um, everything that's uh, that's come into my life as a result of living one day at a time, that one day at a timeness, right? And and having a, a relationship with a power greater than myself. So that wasn't part of the plan, and yet here I am, and life is good. And so, how did I get here? Um, um, I guess for me, I can go back as far as talking about my childhood and mm-hmm. growing up in a in an alcoholic family with alcoholic parents. Both of my parents were um, pretty sick individuals, and uh, my dad got sober when I was pretty young. And um, my dad got sober when I was pretty young, and my mom never did. She just used and or drank and. Uh, um, um, never found a path to recovery, and my mom was not a nice person when she was drinking. She was um, very violent, very abusive, and uh, I had made the decision at a pretty young age. Like I have memories that go back as far as like when I was three years old and being being hit by my mom, and I just remember at a really young age making a decision for myself that never, ever, ever would I be like that. I didn't want to ever be like that and I kind of had an idea of what an alcoholic was at a pretty young age just growing up that way my dad was going to meetings um, and so I had some idea of what uh, what alcoholism was and I never wanted to have any part of that and so I decided at a really young age that I was never going to drink. Um, I'm the youngest of five kids, um, my older siblings um, all got into drinking and using at a pretty young age and you know I I just didn't want to have any part of that and um, despite the fact that I didn't want to have any part of that um, I tell you the rest of my story <laughs> right um, I really thought that the solution for me was just never to drink mm-hmm. I could still smoke weed I could still do other things and I could keep that all under control and life was going to be uh, a great thing for me and um, that's the kind of the path that I chose mm-hmm. and I started smoking weed at 12 years old and um, hanging out with my neighbor and partying and um, being promiscuous and doing all the bad things that 12 year olds should not do but I didn't drink but I didn't drink because that to me was the integral part of mm. my life that as long as I didn't drink, I would never turn out to be like my mom. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, um, on went life and, uh, 
I graduated high school and I got married and I had a baby at a pretty young age on purpose. Uh, we had decided pretty young that we wanted to have kids. And so I had my daughter um, at the age of 20. And after I had her, you know, my, my using started to take greater proportions and I started to smoke weed more and more often. And I remember my husband at the time telling me that, you know, he was okay with it as long as it didn't become a problem. Mm -hmm. And I like totally rolled my eyes and I'm like, how could smoking weed possibly become a problem? And uh, I kind of laughed it off and you know, before I knew it, it was like I was smoking weed every Friday night and I felt like I could justify the way that I used um, because uh, it wasn't affecting anybody. Mm -hmm. um, I was keeping it under control. I kept my job. I was, um, I was working after my daughter was, um, after she was a year old and uh, I felt like I was keeping my life pretty, pretty well together. Mm -hmm. Um, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous talks about addiction as being a progressive illness and um, keeping in mind this whole time I'm not drinking because God forbid I should turn out like my mom. Um, but all of a sudden I'm, I'm getting high Fridays and Saturdays mm -hmm. and being able to justify that again for the same reasons, right? I would draw these lines in the sand for myself that would tell me as long as I don't cross that line, mm -hmm. I've got everything under control. And for me, that line was as long as I'm not smoking in front of my daughter or as long as I'm not, it's not affecting my work or as long as um, my husband isn't complaining about it or whatever the case is, I would always draw this line in the sand for myself and, and I'd creep up to that line and I'd kind of like tiptoe over the other side of it and be like, it's not so bad over here right and before you knew it it's like I'm smoking weed every day all day lost my job because I can't keep it straight at work um, I'm using in front of my daughter and uh, my life is completely becoming uh, a complete mess and uh, my husband tells me that he thinks I have a problem and I concluded that you're probably right and I think you're it mm -hmm. right because I'm not the type of addict uh, that's gonna let anything get away get in the way of the way that I use. And so uh, I promptly got a divorce because, you know, if he's going to start to mess with the way that I use, then uh, I don't want to have any part of that. So, yeah, I got uh, married at 20, married at 19, baby at 20, and divorced by 21. Mm. <laughs> it was trifecta. Quite... <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was quite the whirlwind, whirlwind romance, oh, I guess. No. And, uh, um, you know, that really gave me the freedom to use the way that I wanted mm -hmm. to use. And... Um, that's when things really started to spiral for me. And uh, my my husband at the time told, told uh, we started, of course, to go through divorce proceedings and fighting for custody of my daughter. And, um, and he told the judge that I was an addict um, and that I had, uh, uh, that I smoked way too much weed. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I can't believe you're actually saying this. This is ridiculous. And, and I didn't think that, uh, I didn't think that it was going to affect, um, having custody of my daughter and and uh, lo and behold uh, my lawyer asked me if it was true and I said no absolutely not I've totally got this under control because in my mind in my mind I really truly believed that I would quit when it was time to grow up and it wasn't time yet um, it wasn't time yet there were plenty of moments in my life where I thought maybe this is it no it's not time yet it's not time to grow up but I just really thought that if and when the time came to grow up that I finally would and um and then a lawyer asked me if it was true, and I said, no, absolutely not. I don't smoke nearly as much as he says I do. And and um, and so at that time, he said, okay, then what we need to do is you need to be able to prove to the judge that you're not using the way that he says you are. And uh, um, 
give us a cure, clean urinalysis mm-hmm. and that'll that'll get you out of the red. And so um, I'm a really good addict and I pulled out a calendar and I counted down the days and how many days do I need in order to stop smoking in order to get a clean urinalysis. And I, I figured it all out and I even gave myself five days grace because I knew, you know, sometimes it's a little tricky to get it out of your system. And I gave myself five days grace. And, uh, you know, when that, when that day came and I had five days, I was like, eh, tomorrow, I gave myself five days grace. I'll just give myself four days grace. It'll be okay. And tomorrow came and no, still wasn't a good day. And the next day came and the next day came and, and the day came where it was like, do or die today. Either you stop using today or you're going to lose custody of your daughter. Um, that day came and, uh, I gave it everything I had. I gave it every bit of effort I possibly could every ounce of everything in me. Um, for the sake of not losing my daughter. And uh, I managed on pure willpower to stay sober for 12 hours. Mm. And that was the best that I could do. And I broke down. Mm. Like, it's time to grow up. And I I can't do it. Mm. I can't do it. And that was so devastating to me. Uh, my daughter was everything that I ever wanted. I was told at a young age that I'd never have kids. And so she was such a blessing such a blessing in my life. And here I am faced with, it's time to grow up or you're going to lose your kid. And I, I, I couldn't do it. And, 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 um, my urinalysis was dirty and I lost custody of my daughter. Mm-hmm. And that was really heartbreaking for me. Um, because I, I, you know, that delusion that we experience, um, in active addiction, I, I really honestly believed, um, in my heart of hearts that, uh, if I needed to quit that I just would. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and for the for the best reason of all, I, I just couldn't do it. Um, and so that was a bit of a wake-up call. And, you know, I pulled out the Yellow Pages and I, I flipped through the beginning of the Yellow Pages. I don't know if it's still there or not, but I found a phone number for Alcoholics Anonymous and I called them and I knew about them because of my dad and my dad was in recovery. And, and I phoned them and I just said, you know, I don't have a problem with alcohol because I never wanted to be like my mom, but what do I do because I've got a drug problem. Can you help me? And they said, no, we can't, but we, we know of some places maybe that can. Mm-hmm. And they pointed me in the direction of NA and CA and some other fellowships and said, maybe they can help you. And, mm-hmm. and thus started my journey. Um, you know, I, I made my way into the rooms of recovery at that time. I remember going to my first meeting and I heard people laughing and they were having a good time. And I, first of all, like, how can you laugh at a time like this? This is not funny. If you only knew what I was going through right now, you'd understand. And this would not be a good time to, you know, be laughing and having a good time. Um, <laughs> But the first thing my attic brain told me was, I wonder what they got. (laughs) I wonder what they're doing because there's no way that they can possibly clean and be clean and sober and having a good time. Mm -hmm. They're laughing. They're enjoying life. This is impossible. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I used to follow people around on the smoke break that happened at that meeting to see what it was they were taking Mm because I was sure they had something. And I, that's what kept me coming back, honestly. I would use in between meetings, but I would keep coming back because I wanted to find out what the secret was to happiness. Mm -hmm. Um, I was sure it came in the form of a pill or maybe they were drinking something or something was going on in the parking lot. And I kept coming back to figure it out. And uh, I don't know how long it was. Probably a month, maybe a little bit more until I think I I clued in that I don't think they're on anything. Mm And that was such a foreign concept to me. I didn't understand how that would be possible. And so I decided, you know what? I wonder if I could do it. 
I wonder if I could do it. I wonder if I could live this way too. And uh, I went to my first meeting clean and sober and um, decided to give it an honest shot um, or what I considered to be an honest shot. Mm -hmm. I separated myself super quickly from everybody else in the rooms because I heard people talking about horror stories about smoking meth and doing crack and the things that they had to do and selling themselves and doing all these things. And I was like, oh my God, like, wow, you guys are serious. Like, mm -hmm. this is some serious stuff. I just smoked a little bit of weed. Like, I don't have problems like that. Sure, I lost custody of my daughter, but geez, man, my life mm -hmm. doesn't look like that. Maybe I don't need to do the 12 steps. Maybe I don't need to have a sponsor like they suggest in the program. Maybe I don't need to do a lot of the things that the program suggests. Yeah. I'm just going to kind of chill in the back of the room and absorb what I can through osmosis and hope for the best. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's kind of what my recovery looked like for that year. I managed to stay clean and sober for a year. Um, I thought that that was the magic number needed in order to get custody of my daughter back. Mm -hmm. And uh, when the time came and I wanted her back in my life, um, I was told no. That they didn't think I was ready. Pardon me. Sorry. Um, they didn't think that I was ready. And so um, I was devastated all over again. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had gotten myself into a relationship. Um, I was living with a man um, who was also clean and sober. He had multiple years. And uh, I was completely heartbroken. And I told him, I think I want to get loaded. And he said, me too. Mm. And, uh, you know, it was a match made in hell. And um, we um, remember hearing a few things about the program, in the program, about, about how to avoid potential relapse. And so I did a couple of those things. I went to a meeting. Mm. I went to a meeting right away. And, uh, but I lied. I didn't tell mm. anybody how I was feeling. And... Um, it was a type of meeting where you passed a hat around and there was topics in the hat and I picked a topic out and the topic was how to say no. And I got to share on that and I bullshitted my whole way through that because I was not in a place where I felt like saying no. Um, and I left that meeting and uh, I tried multiple other things um, before I got wasted and one of them was we went to the casino, started gambling, just doing anything to get out of myself. I just felt so horrible, horrible about losing custody of my daughter that I just, I was, I just needed something to numb the pain. Mm -hmm. um, none of that was working. And, and so my story goes, you know, I had 15 months, almost 15 months clean and sober. And uh, I told my boyfriend, I think this is it. I think we need to find someone that can hook us up. And... Um, and I found a drug dealer and uh, he didn't have any weed, he just had crack. And there started my journey um, down the downward spiral. I thought things had gotten bad before that. Um, all those things that I had heard in the rooms about how bad people got and the things that they did and the robberies and all the stuff that they did, um, all of a sudden, all of that became my reality. Um, I started smoking, um, started smoking crack Am I allowed to talk about? Yep. Okay. Yep, of course. Okay. I just didn't know how graphic I can get or You get as graphic get. as you feel comfortable. Yeah. Okay. So um, maybe edit that part out, but it's totally up to you. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, I had no idea what I was in store for. Mm -hmm. um, my The way that my brain thinks and the way that probably most addict brains think 
is that I thought to myself, I just need to numb the pain and it's just going to be for tonight. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to get high for one night and I'm going to go back to a meeting tomorrow and I'm going to tell on myself and I'm going to tell all my friends that I relapsed and everything's Mm going to be okay. I really thought that that was part of the plan um, or part of what was going to happen for me. And um, and so we uh, ordered some dope and... um, we used whatever was available and I, I did exactly as I planned. I went back to a meeting the very next day and I told him myself, I told all my friends that I relapsed and that I was sorry and everything's going to be okay now and I'm just going to keep coming back to meetings. And then I left that meeting and I got high again. And I went to a meeting the very next day yet again and I told the same story and I told them like, this is just a, a you know, a small blip in the system and I swear I'm going to get off of this stuff and I'm back at a meeting and I'm telling on myself again and, and then I left that meeting and I got high and um, eventually the amount of meetings that I was going to and telling on myself became less and less and the amount that I was getting high got more and more I really truly believed in my in my heart that um, I could control it mm-hmm. um, I didn't understand step one and I, I truly believed that I can control it and that I was going to I was going to be able to get uh, a handle on it again mm-hmm. and just use for that one day and and um, and get back into recovery. And I was not prepared for what happened mm-hmm. to my life. I was not prepared at all for what happened to my life. Like I, I hit a whole new bottom that I never thought was possible for an addict like me. Um, you know, I, I uh, was using on a daily basis. I started... Eventually, I started selling myself because I needed the money mm-hmm. to get the dope. And uh, I, I, I didn't think ever that I would be one of those girls. You know, I, I, it breaks my heart. Um, I have a sister who uh, is also an addict. And I remember meeting with her one night and I had no idea what was going on. She... Uh, we ran out of money and we ran out of dope and she said, you know what, I'll be right back and I'll go get some more. And she left and she came back with like hundreds of dollars and all this dope. And I was like, how did you do that? It was just mind blowing to me. I had no idea. And uh, she didn't tell me how she did it. And, you know, when all that ran out, she did the same thing. She said, I'll be right back. And she left for an hour and she came back with money and dope. And she did this a few times. And finally I was like, how are, how are you making this happen? And she told me that, uh, Men were picking her up and and she was um, doing what they wanted for money. And I just, I was devastated. I was devastated. I refused to partake in any of it anymore. I was like, I don't want your money and I don't want your dope. If that's the way that you're getting it, I don't want to have anything to do with it. Um, But the way that it works with addiction is that obsession set in. And when I was on my own and I was by myself and I started jonesing and things started getting rough for me, I started thinking about, I wonder how hard it is. I wonder if I could do that. I wonder what it takes to make that kind of money. And um, that kind of started my journey down that way and uh, wasn't part of the plan. Mm-hmm. No doubt. <laughs> yeah, David, it totally wasn't part of the plan. I, I would never wish that upon anybody. And, and yet, you know, I was scared. And, mm-hmm. you know, funny story, funny story about that is the very first time I went out onto the stroll and um, I started walking up and down 95th Street in Edmonton um, a man picked me up and he had an AA meeting list in his truck. Mm. It's so funny how that worked out. And, you know, um, 
it still wasn't a great night, but at least I mm -hmm. felt safe enough to know that he was a program person and wouldn't hurt me. Mm -hmm. I felt like somehow that that was somewhat safe and that he wouldn't hurt me. And, uh, and, and that was the beginning for me of, of that place of my life. And, you know, for that too, I'm grateful to say that it's been over 11 years since I've ever had to, since I've ever had to, uh, uh, sell myself to anybody mm. and, and, uh, developed some level of self-respect for myself and, and, and things look so different for me today. Mm. And I'm so grateful for that. Um, anyway, so going back to, going back to my life story, you know, I, I, I hit new lows and I hit new bottoms that I never thought were, were possible. I didn't think that a girl coming from a white picket fence and a married family and a daughter and two cars in the garage would ever end up living on the streets of Edmonton, um, turning tricks, doing whatever I had to do to get loaded. I remember one day having like this really low bottom or it felt like a really low bottom for me where I was, um, I was on the streets of Edmonton and I, I, I had some dope and I needed to cook it and do whatever I needed to do for it. And, you know, I couldn't afford water. I couldn't go to 7-Eleven and pick up a bottle of water. I couldn't make it to the dollar store. I had no money to do anything and I'm crouched down in an alley and I'm staring back at my own reflection in this mud puddle and I'm scooping water off the top of this mud puddle because that was the cleanest water I could find for myself to do what I needed to do to get my dope ready so that I could use it. And, uh, and a car drove by and as I'm crouched down in front of this mud puddle and stirred up all the water in the mud puddle and it was that that set me off and it made me so upset not because somebody saw me crouching at a mud puddle, scooping water off with a, with a teaspoon, um, but that somebody had muddied my dirty water, my mm -hmm. cleanest dirty water that I could find <laughs> Your anyways. clean dirty water. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, that's the kind of addict I am. I'm a low mm -hmm. bottom living in the alleys, scooping water off at the top of mud puddles so I could smoke mud puddle crack, mm -hmm. right? That's the kind of addict I am. And uh, boy, oh boy, that was not part of the plan. <laughs> that was... That was not part of the plan. I'm surprised and, you didn't have that planned. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> the mud puddle crack. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why. I just love that story yeah. that, that, you know. It, well, it's great. It, just the feelings that, that I had that day had nothing to do with the fact that I should have been so incredibly embarrassed and mm -hmm. so, you know, ego crushed. Yeah, um, but that tells that the whole tale, my... just that little story, right? Yeah, like, addiction is horrible. It's yeah. so, so ugly. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I don't want to talk about the problem anymore because, yeah. you know, that's, that's, that's a highlight of, of how bad things can get, how mm -hmm. bad things did get for me. Um, eventually I ended up moving to Calgary and I was living in a, in a crack house and, you know, I, I, I just had this, just this one tiny little moment of clarity. I had a car at the time and I don't know how I managed to get a car. I, I managed to get a job for a short period mm -hmm. of time and I bought a $600 car and, um, I had it for a couple of months and, as time went on, this poor car, you know, it was old. It was a piece of garbage. I broke off the handles mm -hmm. on it by accident just because it was cold outside and the car couldn't handle the pressure of yeah. the leverage on the handles of the car. So the handles broke off. I had to like just kind of prop the, the door of the car open all the time because mm -hmm. otherwise there was no way to get back in, roll down a window or something maybe. Um, the key had broken off into the trunk mm -hmm. of the car. Like it, it was it was quite quite the car. And I'm living in a crack house and, um, and I started to have these delusions where I was convinced that the people in the back of the house were discussing how they were going to murder me because they wanted my sweet ride. And, uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Still don't know if that was true. <laughs> I'm guessing it had something to do with a little bit of delusion. Maybe. I, I love it. <laughs> My sweet ride. <laughs> yeah, right. I was convinced. I was absolutely yeah. convinced that they were discussing my murder. Yeah. And so just for anyone listening, like I'm not laughing at her. I'm laughing at the fact <laughs> that, that I have experienced psychosis much similar to what you're talking about. Yeah. Where, where that happens. Yeah. Yeah, completely just gone like off the deep end. Yeah. And I um, I still like to share, like, I don't know if it was real or not. My, mm. my, my guess today is probably not real. <laughs> um, probably in my head, probably a little bit of psychosis mm. going on, knows, right? Yeah. Probably whatever. Um, yeah. But it felt really real in that moment. Yeah. It felt so incredibly real. And I thought that they were going to kill me. And, you know, I'm grateful for that moment because it was that moment where I was like, oh my God, what am I doing? Mm-hmm. I'm sitting in this house. These people want to kill me. They want to steal my sweet ride. I have no idea how I'm going to get out of this. Mm-hmm. What am I doing with my life? What am I doing with my life? And I had these little flashes go through my mind of, I remember what it was like when I had that one year clean and sober, even though it wasn't mm-hmm. like true recovery and I hadn't worked the 12 steps or any of that. But I do remember what it was like to appreciate hearing the birds chirp in the morning yeah. and that they weren't just chirping, loser, you're a loser, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I felt like I was a part of society at Mm -hmm. that point. And I felt like a useful member of, 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 uh, of society. And, um, I remembered what it was like, um, to appreciate having my blinds open in the morning, Mm -hmm. something that I couldn't ever have in my using. And, uh, I just had these little fleeting moments of, of thought and, and then thoughts of my daughter started to crowd into my mind and how, how I wanted her more than anything in life and how um, how if I kept on going down this road, I would never get to be the mom that I was meant to be. Mm-hmm. And I had thoughts of my siblings and my parents and how I wasn't able to be the daughter that they wanted or the sibling to my, to my, you know, to my brother and my sisters um, that they deserved to have. Oh. And, uh, and then I had, and then I had some other thoughts flood my mind, and it was like, you know, I'm never going to get to be one of those lucky addicts that dies at 28 on the street with a needle in my arm. I'm going to have to do this forever. And I spent so much of my my using hustling and just barely getting by and doing everything and anything I had to do to chase the dope. And uh, and I wouldn't get to die like that. I, I'd, I'd be like pushing a walker, mm-hmm. still trying to get my dope, still robbing <laughs> liquor stores, still mm-hmm. doing whatever I had to do in order to survive in this world. And I didn't want to be that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be pushing a walker and still trying to hustle because yeah. that was going to be my fate. I was sure of it. And, um, and that complicates hustling. Right? <laughs> Could like, you imagine yeah, trying like, to run? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine robbing a, like, a liquor store with a walker? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, God. It'd be a gun mounted on top of the walker or something like that. <laughs> Shoot out. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I just had all these crazy thoughts running through my head at the same time. And and um, and I decided it was time to make change, mm-hmm. you know. And it didn't happen that day for me. It didn't happen that day. It didn't happen that moment. It took me a couple of more days, maybe even a week and a half, mm-hmm. before I was actually ready um, it was probably the first time that I've made it into the rooms of recovery because throughout all of my using, I made small, feeble attempts mm-hmm. to make it back into the rooms of recovery and get clean and sober and 
But that was usually when like the money ran out and the dope ran out and all my resources ran out and I just didn't know where to turn anymore. And so I'd come back into the rooms and it was probably the first time that, uh, that, um, I got clean and sober with money and dope in my pocket, mm-hmm. um, because I was really honestly just done. I couldn't do it anymore. And, um, yeah, funny story. I was still dating that guy that I had met in recovery all those years ago. Um, my one night relapse turned into four years of hell mm-hmm. and I'm still with the same guy. And, uh, we, um, decided it was time to go to detox and he went to detox a few days before me and I went to go get in uh, here in Calgary and they were like I I was honest with them because I knew for sure I remembered the first principle of recovery is honesty step one and I made it to detox and I was honest with them and I told them my boyfriend is here but I really need to be here too and they said sorry we can't take you and so you know um, that was probably my first godshot moment um, in an awfully long time I went back to the crack house that I was living in and I told them like, um, I can't do this anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. I can't get into detox. They don't have any beds available for me. Um, but I really don't want to use, can I please just squat in a bedroom for a few days? Cause I need to detox and I need to get this out of my system because I have a treatment center that's willing to take me, but I need five days. It's probably the worst barrier I've ever found in in treatment centers mm-hmm. is that f- magical five days. Like if I could get five days, I wouldn't be calling you. Yeah. Like you guys got to understand this. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's always like been a tricky thing. Yeah. yeah it is a really tricky thing. Yeah. And if you can't get into detox, how do you get five days? Right? Like it's, it's, it was tough. And you know, that was, like I said, my first God shot moment. Mm-hmm. I went back to that crack house and I, I pled with the guy and he said, yeah, sure. Go ahead, take a bedroom. And you know what? I, I didn't get loaded for five days living mm-hmm. in a crack house. And I heard the girls coming in and I heard all the stuff going on and the lighters flicking and all this stuff. And you know what? I didn't get high. Mm-hmm. And I think it was because that was like my first true moment of, of desperation, mm-hmm. that true moment of desperation. And God heard my cries. Yeah. And so, um, I managed to stay there for five days and I got myself into treatment and, uh, um, immediately after that, yeah, I started my, my journey into recovery and everything has been so amazing since then. And mm-hmm. it's not to say I haven't had hardships and things haven't been difficult because they have been, you know, um, I, my life has been so incredibly best blessed by recovery, but yet I've, I've experienced some, some difficult times too. You know, I lived here in Calgary at the time when I got clean and sober and, and, um, I had a great network of people, yourself Mm -hmm. included and your dad. And I had so many great people as a part of my recovery when I was living here in Calgary. And, um, um, but my daughter was in Edmonton Mm -hmm. and that's where I needed, I needed to be. So after a year of building up an amazing community here in Calgary, I had to leave that. Mm -hmm. And that was really scary for me because I didn't Uh know what was going to happen for me on the other end and, and how, you know, how accepting is the fellowship they're going to be Mm -hmm. and how am I going to get connected with people and how am I going to rebuild another uh, recovery community for myself. But, you know, I was, I'm grateful that I was able to do that, but it was, it was scary for me. And, um, after, after having been there for a little while, you know, I, 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 filed for custody of my daughter mm-hmm. and she was 10 years old at the time and I managed to get her back in my life which is which was such a so amazing for me to have her back in my life and uh, after being absent for so mm-hmm. long like I'm the first person to say I was totally a deadbeat mom and uh, it hurts me to say that mm-hmm. um but you know I got to be there for some of the really important times in her life from 10 until she's 19 now and I've been able to be there yeah. 
um, for the important times in her life. And, That's awesome. Yeah, it's been amazing. She's on her own journey now, and you know, all I can do is be here for her mm. and tell her how much I love her and get to be a part of that. And, and I wouldn't have that without recovery. Yeah. So um, it's really actually quite great. So yeah, I, I moved back to Edmonton and I started my career as uh, I started here in Calgary actually as a receptionist at a law firm okay. and things have just kind of grown for me since then. And, and um, you know, I've worked really hard to be where I'm at today and, and uh, I owe all of it to this program. Anyways, um, so I don't know where, what else to share with you um, other than, you know, where I'm at today. And, and it's just, it's just been really, it's just mm -hmm. been really great for me. And uh, um, I'm hugely involved in Cocaine Anonymous. Mm -hmm. um, I have been since the beginning. I think about my recovery as like a three-legged stool. Mm -hmm. And each one of those legs on my stool is, you know, reading the big book, having a sponsor, going to meetings, mm -hmm. sponsoring others, and uh, just basically being involved, right? Clean house, help God, or sorry, <laughs> trust God, help clean house. Why am I saying it wrong? I, I don't know, but now I'm confused. Isn't it clean house? Clean house, trust, trust God, God, and help others. Help there others. we go. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, can you edit that crappy part? <laughs> Um, so each one of those pieces is part of my stool. Mm -hmm. And, um, after 11 years, I have had no desire to start figuring out which part of that is holding me up. Mm -hmm. I don't start just plucking things away. Like, oh, maybe I don't need sponsorship anymore. And maybe I don't need to go to meetings anymore. And maybe I don't, I continue to do all of the things that I did when I got here, because those are the same things that are keeping me clean and sober today. Mm -hmm. I believe that. And I, and I am not interested in playing Russian roulette with my recovery. And so mm -hmm. I don't start just pulling those things away from my recovery. And I see that happen so often with other people. And it's terrifying to mm -hmm. me because, you know, it's, uh, I don't know which part of that is, is, is the foundation to my recovery, yeah. but I'm guessing it's a combination of all of them. And mm -hmm. so I can, I just keep doing all of them. And, um, the life that I have today is far greater than I could have ever imagined it to be. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I always think back to that time when my sponsor told me to close my eyes and imagine what my life could look like. And it's been tenfold mm -hmm. anything that I could ever even imagine for myself. And I think that's where that line comes from, right? Yeah. That life is far greater than I could ever imagine. I can't even picture what it is that God has in store for me. And mm -hmm. yet it's been something that's been so amazing and so beautiful. And uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for my life today and I'm mm -hmm. grateful that I got the opportunity to come and share my story with you and well thanks for coming yeah and absolutely. you came all the way down from Edmonton too I did Thank yeah well when that. I got the invite from you I just I felt like you know again that that's a part of my recovery mm -hmm. is service and part of service for me is sharing my story and mm -hmm. I've been blessed with blessed with uh the opportunity to share my story a few times and I never want to take away that opportunity because my darkest past is the hope for someone else mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I would never want to take that away from anybody. So. Yeah. No, I appreciate um, that very much. Yeah. Absolutely. Is there? So is there? What What's your life like today? So you You're a paralegal. I'm a paralegal. Yeah. yeah living in Edmonton. Um. I have. Uh, um. Yeah. I don't. I don't know really what to mm -hmm. tell you. Life is just really amazing. I, I wake up every day, I go to work, I do my thing. I'm highly involved in service, like I mm -hmm. said. I um, have slowly climbed the ladder or, or declined through the service 
structure, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if, if you're familiar with the service structure. It's an inverted Not pyramid. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. So it's like an inver inverted pyramid. Mm -hmm. And and each level of service that I take, whether it's serving coffee at my mm -hmm. home group or um, sitting as a co-secretary on the World Service Conference, mm -hmm. um, it, it works exactly the opposite of what people think it does and it's 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 an inverted pyramid so every time I take a new position which sounds like a higher rank it's actually a lower rank in the sense that I'm serving more people mm -hmm. I just become a, a servant to a, a far greater population which yeah. I think is so amazing it's kind of cool yeah it is really cool yeah. so um, that's what I do in my service today is um, I still sponsor a ton of women. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the service that I do locally. I have a mm -hmm. home group in Edmonton that I'm of service of and I am a part of. Um, but I also have been involved on the world service level and mm -hmm. I've been doing that for six years now. And I'm the co-secretary of a world service conference in mm -hmm. California. I knew I was going to ask you about California because you go all the time. That's why I go because yeah. I'm of service to yeah. this fellowship. And you know, it's service that has given me the opportunity to travel the way mm -hmm. that I do. And it's been just like the coolest thing. Like it's like all of my dreams coming true yeah. and yet I, I get to serve just a greater and greater number of people mm -hmm. in our fellowship just to make sure that our primary purpose is is um is sought through right mm -hmm. which is to carry the message to the addict who still suffers mm -hmm. and that's so important to me and whatever level i can do that at i'm willing to serve because yeah. um i wouldn't be here today without somebody else working their 12 step mm -hmm. on me right that whole concept and so um yeah, I do a lot of service work. I do a lot of volunteer work mm -hmm. outside of recovery as well. I foster kittens, which is so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, have you, are you fostering kittens right now? Or? I am. I don't have any right at this very yeah. moment because I came down to Calgary and my last foster kitten just got adopted, I think, oh, uh, about five days before I came down. Yeah. And my supervisor called me and said, can you take two, can you take two more? And I said, not quite, not until I get back from Calgary. Mm -hmm. So once I get back up this week, I told her that I'd be able to take some more kitties this Fantastic. week. Fantastic. Yeah, it's awesome. It's kind of like sponsorship, right? Like I take yeah. these little kitties in, they're all broken and wounded, and I clean yeah. them up, and I get them healthy, and I find them new homes, and it's wow. so much fun. <laughs> That's awesome. So how does... How does Bradley Cooper get along with the foster cats? Oh, he's such a good boy. He's is like he? daddy to everybody, right? He oh, just, nice. <laughs> yeah, he thinks yeah. he's just like, he's just everybody's little buddy. Yeah, these are my kids good. now. They're my kids. That's yeah, how Yeah, we bring them in and he <laughs> licks them clean. And <laughs> well, that's fantastic. He's such a good though. boy. Yeah, yeah. He's a good sponsor. <laughs> so you couldn't have like a better cat, right? Like to yeah, take no, in you know what? It's, and it's amazing the way that I got him too. He just came in as a foster as well. And, oh, okay. you know, he came in, he was pretty broken. So I had to hold on to him for a mm -hmm. long time. He had a uh, um, broken ligaments in his knee and oh, no. he had open wounds and infected eyes and his ears were bad. Was he abused? And like, he was living on the streets oh, okay. of, uh, so he was just of Leduc. So yeah. yeah, I don't know. He must've been attacked by an animal because he had open wounds on his legs. Yeah. And like I said, the ligaments were all broken. Wow. And so he must've escaped a coyote mm. or something yeah. i don't even know so yeah i had to foster him for a long time before he was adoptable and yeah. by that time i fell in love with him so of I kept course him. Yeah. yeah so how long did you have him i had him for three months until he was ready to go right and on. by then i was like yeah you yeah, don't really your, want this cat yeah, he's your boy now at that trust point. me you don't want this cat i want this cat <laughs> everybody so out there right now is going this took a weird turn now they're talking about <laughs> cats because i am always dying to talk about cats 
Are you? Oh, yeah. Aren't they the oh, best? They are the best, yeah. Oh, There's yeah. always like a little secret place in my head where I'm like, can we talk about cats? <laughs> <laughs> Dream come true, right here, Especially right now. when you're sitting here and I know that you foster cats and I, I love Bradley Cooper. Like the name's obviously perfect, oh, right? Yeah, he's and just a handsome little devil. Yeah, he is a handsome cat. Yeah, yeah. he's pretty cool. Well, that's awesome. Thank How's you so much. How's your kitty doing? He, oh, Floyd? Yeah. He is doing fantastic. Good. Yeah. He, he's like, uh, this morning I woke up, and sometimes he'll wake up up meowing. Like Heather and I, he'll just be meowing, meowing. I don't think it's because he's hungry. I think it's because he misses us, right? Because he's been with me since he was about six weeks. Oh, yeah, and he was little. like he was like a little teacup kitty. Yeah, and he would sleep under my beard and stuff like that yeah, when he was so little. Sweet. And yeah, and awesome. I, I think that he gets lonely in the middle of the night, and so he'll oh. he'll wander around early in the morning meowing. Just yeah. because he wants some attention, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah this morning, we, I caught Heather's cat blocking the door, so she wouldn't <laughs> she wouldn't let him come into the bedroom to wake us up. So she, oh, it was one. quite funny because she's like, "Nope, none of this stuff's happening." And that's her name's Izzy, and she's a calico. So oh, cute. Yeah, and oh, she's beautiful. a little bit older than Floyd, so she kind of pushes him around a little bit. You're gonna have to post some more pictures because you haven't posted any pictures of Floyd lately. Oh my God, it has been a while. Yeah, it has been. I think it's time. That's, yeah, that's... I'm going to call you out on that right now. Thank you very much for calling out <laughs> yeah. because I imagine Floyd is thinking, when the fuck is this guy going to post another picture of me? Right? Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank yeah. you for coming. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me and this has been amazing. Cool yeah. experience. I... I'm glad you enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, I... Good luck with everything and when you go to Thank California, you. just tell California I miss it. I will. Yeah. It sounds just, good. Just holler at that. You and like, Heather can come on down. We'll go to Disney. Do yeah. I, well, we yeah. got to go. We're going to go to California at some point. Good. For sure. Good. Yeah. It's a good place she, to be. I, we haven't been there together, and I think she's only been to Disney. So Cool. Yeah, I'll take her to more fun places. Yeah. Take her to the place where we used to get into a lot of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> Those are good, too. Yeah, of course. Why yeah. not, right? Yeah. So, I well, thank you so much for driving all the way down here in the winter, first no of problem. all. No problem. Because I know that number two highway is a piece of shit. Like yeah, it can be. In the winter when that wind is blowing, like cross, that yes. cross wind, yes. I, I don't think I've driven on a worse road yet. Well, until we go north maybe, then I'll find a worse road. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, cool. uh, safe travels tonight. Yeah, thanks so much. Yeah. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning in this week to the Voices in Recovery podcast. Please stay tuned every Wednesday as we air another episode. Thank you for your time. And please, if you're in trouble, reach out. If you need to contact us at www.freedomspathrecoverysociety.ca or you can look for us on Facebook under Freedom's Path Recovery Society. Thank you again for tuning in. Please stay tuned for upcoming groups, activities, and podcasts.